having a beer after a hard day's work once meant putting up with a six o'clock swill. The swill is not only unpleasant, it's also dangerous. Those who like beer, and surprisingly it's still legal to like it. South Australia joins all other states in abandoning the six o'clock swill. You're tuned to the Six O'Clock Swirl with Tim Blair and Nick Cater, two humble barefoot fighters in the resistance movement seeking to overthrow the tyranny of woke. Today, Joe Biden leaves the Western world in the weakest condemnation of a hostile invasion of a neighbouring country since the uh, German occupation of the Sudetenland. There you go. I've mentioned the 1930s already. How much has woke had to do with this? Well, we'll be joined by a special guest, James McPherson author of Notes from Woketopia to examine how far the undermining of Western confidence in itself has actually encouraged President Putin in these actions. Tim, um, what was your take? Uh, Joe Biden, tough talking that he promised us didn't seem to go very far. Yeah, he was a massively tough talker You know, back in the day. When it counts, he's, um, he's rather more squeamish and useless. But uh, prior to the election, he was, um, he was telling Putin he was going to treat him like corn pop. Remember Corn Pop, the, um, <laughs> the, the assailant who uh, Biden dealt with during his uh, teenage years as a pool lifeguard? And uh, yeah, Corn Pop was a bad dude. Putin is also a bad dude. And I think, uh, I think you might have a sound grab there of, uh, of exactly what old Sleepy Joe had to say a couple of years ago. Because Putin knows if I am president of the United States, his days of tyranny and trying to intimidate the United States and those in Eastern Europe are over. I'm going to stand up to him. He's a bully, just like the president. And I know he doesn't want me to be president, but to tell you what, when I'm president, things are going to change. <laughs> they certainly change. I'm not sure about that bit that Putin didn't want him to be president. I, th- I think he rather did, actually. This is how Putin responded this week to Joe Biden's tough talking and the threat that his bank account might be closed down or something like that. No translation needed, of course, for our multilingual six o'clock swill audience, but I'll give it to you anyway. Whoever tries to interfere with us, even more so to create threats to our country, to our people, should know that Russia's response will be immediate and will lead you to such consequences as you have never experienced in your history. Hardly uh, cowering, is he? And in he went with the full invasion, not even just tickling a few provinces on the edge. What do you make of it, Tim? Uh, I make of it that Joe Biden is is the worst president, certainly in our lifetimes, and uh, possibly of all time. Everything he's done has gone wrong. Every single thing since his government took over the start of 2021. This is part of a pattern. Just limitless and consistent failure. This is a guy who um, has, has driven his own economy down while emboldening aggressive foreign powers. He's basically now, he's not just a threat to, to his own nation's stability and economy. He's a threat to global stability, global security, global borders. We're getting now into a very serious territory where um, thugs and dictators feel that they don't have to be concerned about any combined Western retaliation, that they don't have to be concerned especially about what the US does or thinks. This is not a safe place to be. It's not a safe situation, Nick. For a moment, I thought that maybe this having a real news story, like a real war, a real fighting war, global instability, might put woke in its box, Tim, but maybe they 
put the climate change debate aside for a while while they deal with something that really is a threat to our comfort and our existence, but not so apparently. Absolutely not. I'm just uh, just scanning through a few things online here where people are still carrying on. They've not ditched any of their, their woke preoccupations at all. And uh, like here's a line from someone on Twitter, uh, someone named Dana, saying that uh, lots of people in Ukraine are crowding together inside. Only 35% of Ukrainians have been vaccinated. Less than 2% have been boosted. <laughs> well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that those are major concerns right now, Dana, so you can calm down just a little bit. You don't think that'll cause a little bit of hesitancy from the Russian troops, you know, only 2% have been boosted. Yeah, exactly. Don't fire on them. Don't fire on them. They are unmasked. You've got the left-wing commentator Chunk Yogurt. I'm not really sure the pronunciation of his name. It's something like that. But he says that um, right-wingers love Putin, but not just because he's an authoritarian, tyrannical leader. They love him because he's a white authoritarian leader. Race has become more important than even nationality. They've turned on democracy, now even America, in favour of a white warlord. Again, I'm not too... Cons- I don't believe that anyone under bombardment would be worrying about the colour of the skin of the guy who ordered it. You're more worried about the bombardment itself, which is uh, still mm. ongoing, obviously. Um, oh, here's a beautiful line from a, from a Janet Forsyth, I think. This isn't discussed much but Putin very much benefits from white privilege. Okay. <laughs> like, he is white. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, this is now an important thing. Uh, Janet continues, I just can't see a scenario in which a black or brown man running Russia would be allowed to invade Ukraine with no devastating consequences. <laughs> well, I can't really see a scenario in which a black or brown man would be running Russia in the first place, but I guess that's, that's just that's my innate white privilege coming through as well. Um, yeah, look, Tim, you're you're more of a techie when it comes to motor vehicles, but it strikes me that those tanks they're driving across the border, I'm not sure if they really meet European emission <laughs> standards, do they? I mean, are they whatever the? Uh, I don't think they've this even. Is surely a concern, isn't it? I don't think they've even got a hybrid sort of mode. I think they're entirely fossil fuel powered. I don't think there's any. I couldn't see any charging point. Well, that that would would make war interesting, wouldn't it? If uh, all the all the vehicles were um, electrically powered, and occasionally you had to pause the conflict in order to um, find a Tesla supercharger station and uh, get them all juiced up again. <laughs> so John Kerry had a point, right? He did. We better we want to play what John Kerry had to say about this. Oh God, this is beautiful. Yes, and I hope diplomacy will win, but a massive. Uh, emissions consequences to the war, but equally importantly, you're going to lose people's focus. You're going to lose certainly big country attention because they will be diverted. And and, uh, I think it could have a damaging impact. So, you know, I think hopefully President Putin would realize that in the northern part of his country, they used to live on 66% of a nation that was over frozen land. Now it's thawing and his infrastructure is at risk and the people of Russia are at risk. And so I hope President Putin will help us to stay on track with respect to what we need to do for the climate. It's, um, it's extraordinary that people are actually dying now, actually dying. And the likes of John Kerry, the um, carbon czar or climate wizard or whatever bogus title he's been given by Joe Biden, he's actually concerned about the carbon emissions. He's actually concerned 
over and above the death, the bloodshed, the maiming, the amputations. He's, uh, he's worried that people's focus will be taken off, off uh, you know, Greta Thunberg by the, by the mere fact that a nation's borders are being overrun by killers. These people really, come on people, get it together, concentrate. Get your priorities right. First things first. First thing is, um, let's try and uh, decarbonise the uh, economy. Secondly, then we can deal. Then maybe, you know, if, if we've got some energy left over, then we'll deal with, you know, massacres. These people are nuts. Don't forget to separate the aluminium and plastic and paper when you clear up the rubble from those Russian bombs. Uh, it shouldn't all be going in landfill. Well, I'll just give you another line from the, um, it's from the New York Times today, formerly serious newspaper, that now they're worried, they've, they've noticed people crowded crowded uh, people as they are trying to flee Russian troops and they've noticed that um, very few people are wearing masks. Masks are conspicuously absent from these fleeing people. How many lunacies do we have to pack together in one world at the moment? Is there even space for, for all this madness? Well, I think at that point we should bring in our guest, James McPherson. James began his career in a way that may have led to making him an acceptable woke person as a journalist at the Courier-Mail. But then, of course, he took a turn for the worst when he left to become a Pentecostal pastor. I don't think anything about becoming a Pentecostal pastor does anything but disqualify you from being a true woke folk. But uh, he's written a book. He's written a book on the subject. He's a great columnist with the... Spectator, I've been reading his stuff for a while. His book Notes from Woketopia is out now and um, could be quite precedent in the in this crisis. James, welcome to the Six O'Clock Swill. Uh, it, early days yet, of course, but are you surprised that as a student, student of wokeism that the invasion of Ukraine by Russia has not led to any sort of self-realisation or correction in their judgment that the worst thing we face is discrimination against transgender folk? Yeah, I'm very surprised. You, you would have thought that Putin's missiles would have uh, rocked us out of our uh, wokeness, but even as the rockets rain down on the Ukraine, Western elites worry about how the war might affect LGBTQ people. I read that on Twitter as if Putin might have developed queer-seeking missiles. <laughs> um, other people wonder aloud whether grandparents huddled in bomb shelters beneath the pockmarked streets of Kiev are social distancing. And uh, Nick, you know, they, they say cockroaches are the only things that will survive a nuclear holocaust. Well, I think they're wrong. Woke. Woke will survive as well. The, the Russians may destroy the cities, but they'll never kill our stupid. I, I think one of the great consolations of being forced to live through this time is how funny things are. And I can't read the newspaper without laughing because life has become so ridiculous. So the point of the book really was just to highlight the incredible cognitive dissonance that is required to survive in, you know, modern culture. Uh, so I just think life has become very tragic and very funny all at the same time. James, one of the great things about living in times of plenty and, uh, and freedom is that uh, we get to enjoy certain indulgences, and that's basically the whole Western project, I guess. And it's terrific when it's, when it's good. But probably the greatest indulgence of modern times has been all this woke nonsense. And it might be something that we can't afford anymore. 
given that uh, certain events are, are, are occurring as we speak. If we can't afford it, if woke is not only going to be an indulgence but also a hindrance to uh, our further freedoms, is there anything to be done to sort of get rid of it? Because I can't see uh, I can't see them giving up their their hold on all the woke pieties anytime soon. Well, I think you make a great point, Tim. Woke is very much a feature of a decadent culture that has everything we could ever want. So what do we do now? And so now we focus on the minutia of life. And and I think we're seeing that with what's happening in Europe at the moment. You know, one of the reasons for what's happening is with the loss of Christianity. We lost the doctrine of the fall. That's the idea that while people are made in the image of God, they're also fallen and so have a propensity toward doing evil. Uh, and instead of preparing for the inevitability of evil, we've embraced the illusion of you know the brotherhood of men and the perfectibility of humanity. And so we have been humming John Lennon's Imagine while slashing the defence budget so we can spend money on welfare and aged pensions and pet projects like wind turbines. And, and it's funny, you know, Vladimir Putin has been hinting for quite some time about his desire to reclaim the lost territories of the USSR, but we didn't hear it because we were listening to the siren song of Greta Thunberg. And uh, we are very much a decadent culture. What does it take to shake us out of that? Probably pain, unfortunately, and by the reaction initially to the invasion of Ukraine, a bit more pain. Well, James, we're going to have to leave it there. Um, Technical problems today on the internet. First, we've had, actually, I don't know if it's anything at all to do with the cyber warfare capability of Russia, but anyway, we'll see. But James, uh, let me me plug your book. James McPherson, Notes from Woketopia, Laying Bare the Lunacy of Woke Culture, worth every dollar of the 35 that Anthony Capello will charge you from Publishers Connor Court. Uh, James, uh, we'll read your columns in Spectator and we're going to have you back very soon again on the Six O'Clock Swill. And now it's our great pleasure to welcome back to the podcast the Seigneur of Semantics, Mediator of Meaning and Umpire of Utterance, otherwise known as the Dictionary with Eyes, Kel Richards. Kel, welcome back to the Six O'Clock Swill. It's really nice to be back and to see those friendly, smiling voices or faces or whatever it is I've got here. Yes, g'day, g'day. <laughs> avatars, they are avatars. Avatars, not real right. People oh, yes, that, that's... That's what's going to happen on Facebook. We'll all be avatars. None of us will be real people in the future. There's a bit of that sort of 1984 language at the moment, isn't there, around um, around war and Russia? You know, the idea of a peacekeeping force going into Ukraine. I, I certainly noticed that the, the three-word collection that he put together, special military operation, turns out special military operations just means killing people. Um, it, it's, it, it just struck me when I heard him say that, because I don't think, now t- connect me, correct me if I'm wrong, has Putin used the word invasion, or is he stuck to things like special military operation? I don't think he's calling it an invasion, um, as far as he's concerned. Uh, I think you're right, Kel, but it's like um, uh, in Sydney, uh, you would have noticed that many bars have VIP rooms and these are typically where the poker machines are. No VIP has ever gone into them. And um, <laughs> and another another three word one, probably a little closer to what uh, what Vladimir Putin's talking about. There's not actually much that's special about special fried rice, is there? 
I don't think I'm, don't think I'm giving away any <laughs> special secrets. fried rice. It's pretty <laughs> yeah. much fried rice, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So a special <laughs> military ta- operation. Can I take you back to the name of the country? For, can I take you back to the name of the country? Because I I had a, an email today from someone saying, should we call it Ukraine or the Ukraine? Does it have a definite article or not? And there's a story behind it. It had a definite article until about 1993 when they dropped it. Some countries have got a definite article, most haven't. Uh, we do talk about the Philippines or the Netherlands uh, because they have distinct, distinctive ge- geographical features like it's actually the Philippine Islands and the Netherlands means the lowlands. And sometimes because of special political features. So we talk about the United States or the United Kingdom or the old Soviet Union. They took the definite article. It was originally the Ukraine because the word Ukraine comes from a much older word that meant borderland. So the name of the country was the borderland. Uh, Then, of course, in 1989, the Soviet Union collapsed. In 1991, uh, Ukraine left uh, the, the Russian sphere of influence and declared their independence. And they dropped the definite article because they decided they weren't anyone's borderland anymore. And they certainly weren't Russia's borderland, so they just became Ukraine. And I, I think that little, tiny little change in the way they're referred to was part of the independence mentality they've got. So you gain independence, lose a definite, definite article. It's not a bad trade. We like the definite article. It is definitely the six o'clock swill, or occasionally the swill, if we want to shorten it. But, um, but um, you know, I mean... I know you specialised in in studying words and their usage, largely as to how they they used to communicate and inform. Because there's language that's deliberately framed in a way that blurs and doesn't inform, isn't there? I'm thinking of bureaucrat language and and Jacinta Ardern. I've been listening to a number of press conferences recently. You know, I'm very fascinated by this revolt of New Zealanders, unheard of New Zealanders taken to the streets to protest against vaccine mandates. And as a result of me listening to Jacinta Ardern a lot, she speaks a language, I think it's called Beehive. It's a language spoken only in the New Zealand Parliament and by bureaucrats there. Let's do a short grab, so I'd like you to translate it for us, if you would, Kel. We've seen the uh, devastation that uh, significant weather events are having in this, uh, in this area. Rural areas, farmland has been really hit Uh, with this weather event. We know we have a job to do to work together with Council around how we can build greater flood resilience on the West Coast. It is a project and a plan that we hope to pull together in partnership so that we can further support the communities going forward and deal with just the anxiety of facing ongoing weather events. Council has uh, begun to work up plans around what water infrastructure is needed. They have a long list of projects around roading, but in the longer term we've said we want to work with them out to about June or July to come up with a uh, plan that will help with future flooding events. It's, it's not surprising, is it, that the protesters think she's speaking a different language? I mean, most of us talk about roadworks, for instance. She talks about projects around roading. Uh, roading is a, a really interesting one. I mean, that, that's about as good as meddling, isn't it, in uh, Olympic Games? It's like, what did you do on the weekend? Uh, you know, in the in New Zealand, presumably, they don't say, oh, I went for a bit of a drive down the coast, picked up some oysters and uh, a lobster, came home. No, I did a bit of roading. <laughs> or those people landing, <laughs> leaning on their shovels at the side of the road, wearing uh, high-vis vests. What are they doing? Oh, they're roading. So it's... And- <laughs> Weather events. I mean... Wh- weather, what is a weather event? Yeah. Um, 
Everything is a weather event, right? Everything the weather does is an event. So calling mm. something a weather event is not naming it. It's just a, a meaningless additional word. You can go through that entire little mini Jacinda speech there and delete the word event and you get the same meaning from, the, from what she's saying. Yes, yes. I, my own guess is the background is management speak. I, I actually think this comes out of the way middle managers talk. Middle managers are forever inflating language and putting together strange sort of uh, conjunctions of words in order to make what they're sounding, saying sound more official yep. and a bit more important. So if it was rain, that doesn't matter as much mm. as a weather event. And if it's a flood, well, that's only one syllable. But if it's a flood event, then there's something more significant happening. I, I really, I mean, she's picked it up and she is using it and it's really irritating. But I do have a guess that it's, it's mm. middle management. It's the way they talk. It's the way management consultants write their reports mm. full of that sort of rubbish. You can inflate something by 200 words a page if you, if you, uh, yeah. if you do it. Now, it's also classically the way that uh, senior police would, would speak. Yes. Um, the vehicle left the road surface was one of my favourites. Oh, just the, it didn't leave, leave the road. It let, left the surface of the road. Not, it didn't leave the substructure of the road. In New Zealand, that's known as de-roading. A car was de-roading. <laughs> and if there's a significant um, landslide event, your roading is interrupted by erosion. It gets really complicated <laughs> down on the South Island. I'll tell you what. <laughs> You're right. There are there are there are degrees of weather events. We have significant weather events and uh, ongoing weather events. O- ongoing weather events going forward. <laughs> that I yes. think is to give the the sort of menace of climate change, isn't it? Ongoing weather events going forward. I would think so, yes, and, and and we have unpredictable weather events just in the same way as we can control the global climate. We can't control next Wednesday's weather, so they are unpredictable <laughs> weather events. They are, they are simply all irritating. We People say to me sometimes, Kel, can't something be done about this? The answer is no. That's how these people talk, and I suspect it's how they think. She wouldn't govern the country the way she does if she didn't think like this. Or am I being I unkind? I think being too kind. You, you wanted to talk about unpredictable sharp teeth events in marine environments, I think, didn't you? Shark attacks. Yeah. Well, Tim, you wrote about this in your column in The Telegraph about how pe- people want to stop using the word attack and calling them shark incidents or shark encounters. <laughs> and, and I just, I, 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 I can't believe the silliness of it. Uh, I, I keep the, the, the parallel that I thought of was, let's say you go fishing in the Northern Territory on the bank of a river, there you are fishing, and a giant saltwater crocodile lunges out of the water, grabs hold of you, pulls you into the water, does the spin around that the crocodiles yep. do. Uh, that is not an incident. That is not an encounter. That is called an attack. It's what those animals do. That's all that they do. Yes, yes. They don't have reading cl- uh, book clubs. You know, they don't go, they don't go roading, <laughs> you know, they, they just attack. Sharks, all they do is attack. I mean, ha- what happens when there is a, a shark attack and, and you're of this middle management speak persuasion and you rush to the nearest lifeguard station and you yell up at the guy there and say, quick, quick, there's been a cartilaginous species uh, human interaction event. <laughs> <laughs> 
when I was doing this on 6PR Perth, uh, a caller rang in to say, you don't understand the sharks. All the sharks are doing is investigating. And I said, they investigate with their teeth. (laughs) 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 You know, I I was trying to imagine the conversation. You're walking down the street and there's an old mate of yours who's on a crutch because he only got one leg now. And I said, what what happens? And he said, oh, a shark investigated me. I have to say, well, it's a good thing he didn't attack you, isn't (laughs) it? Exactly. That's a pretty severe investigation injury you got there, pal. You brought up sharks. I'm going to tell you my favourite Vladimir Putin story told to me by Tony Abbott. You remember Tony Abbott when he was Prime Minister, uh, ended up sitting next to Vladimir Putin at a G20 event. And, uh, you know, they had the cameras in at the beginning to get the general shots. And you could see Tony in the distance talking to Vladimir Putin, but too far away to hear what he was saying. And um, as they were talking, Putin erupts in laughter. Big belly laugh. You could see him almost collapse with laughter. So uh, I had a chance to ask Tony Abbott when he got back. I said, what did you... What was the conversation with Vladimir Putin? He said, oh, you know, he said to me, um, ah, Mr. Abbott, I know about you. You are a sportsman. Yes. What sports do you like? He said, well, I like surfing, I like running, and I like cycling. He said, "Uh, what what sports do you like? I know you like hunting and shooting. Yes, said Vladimir Putin. And Vladimir Putin says, yes, but I could never go surfing. Why, said Abbott? Because I'm afraid of sharks. (laughs) To which Abbott replied, "To which Abbott replied, but I thought the sharks would be afraid of you. Be afraid of you, Mr. President." <laughs> which point Putin erupts in laughter. Well, now we know how to respond in the Ukraine or whatever we're calling it uh, this week. It might be the Ukraine by the time this even um, is uh, lined up for publication. They might have had their uh, had their the imposed upon them. But uh, we should send in some sharks. Uh, we've found his uh, we've yeah. sent, found his Achilles heel. And it's in the form of um, a shark investigation. <laughs> I would think so. Actually, the the, the Putin mm. joke uh, reminds me, you know, the old joke about why sharks never attack lawyers? It, it's respect for one of their own. You know? <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> can, can I, well, I've got you two guys here. Can I recruit yep. you into a little campaign? Is this, this, is this permissible? Sure. We're always up for a campaign, Cal. Yeah, a campaign event, even better. Right. Uh, I'm really irritated, as as you probably are, by the, the expression unconscious bias. Yes. Because we're all white, we've all got unconscious bias or whatever it is. People who are not white don't have any unconscious bias, but but we us horrible mm. white people have. Mm. And, of course, there's rubbish. If you're unconscious, is not bias, and if it's bias, you're not unconscious. Mm. So what I'm, I'm doing is I'm promoting the expression comatose bias. And I think we need in future to talk about comatose bias. Oh, that's good. If I happen to have unconscious bias and then I was put into a, uh, a medically induced coma because of an accident, would I still be biased? Of course I would. My conscious mind is not involved. So we need to start talking about comatose bias so they really nail the white people. I think we need to encourage them. <laughs> comatose bias. Well, Kel, I think, uh, I think woke <laughs> activists might have already they've gone somewhere down this. They've gone somewhere down this path because what else is it? But taking on uh, post-mortem bias, when you're knocking <laughs> statues, down statues, yes. <laughs> when you're taking down all the statues, these are, these are representative of dead yes. people. Uh, but even in death, your white privilege lives on, evidently. Yes. So they've got to be taken down. So it's, it's a short step, really, from them knocking down statues to pulling plugs on uh, people who are in, uh, in some kind of suspended animation coma situation. Yeah. <laughs> 
So I think you're, I think you're onto something. I think, I think you've found, uh, you've found where these people are travelling. <laughs> They'll be storming the, the 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 critical care wards to deal out some rough justice to those privileged white coma sufferers. They just go through and they, they look at the ICU patients and say, I can just tell he's biased. Pull the plug. He's biased. I say she's pull the plug. It's the most effective yep. form of cancel culture there is, isn't it? Pull the plug out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cancel the comatose. <laughs> no, that'll learn yes. them. <laughs> <laughs> you might, well, you won't need to pull the plug because sooner or later, the you know, how are we going to be going if, if hospitals are powered by a couple of solar panels and a, <laughs> and, a, and, a and a windmill? Yes. It's uh, they'll be unplugging themselves. Carla, terrific to have you on the sh- on the swill as usual, and we hope to get you back again soon to try and help us understand this strange modern world of language. Thanks very much, Carl. My pleasure. Tim, with all the uh, the international tension, we haven't mentioned the convoys, the the protests in New Zealand and Canada, uh, other countries still going on. Of course, I thought Senator John Kennedy really nailed the essence of these when he got stuck into Justin Trudeau earlier in the week. What I think we're seeing in Canada is the uh, tyranny of the managerial elite over the working class majority. His plan for convincing the truckers that they are wrong is by saying, you're a bunch of stupid idiots. Here's what I hear the prime minister saying to the truckers. Look, truckers, um, I'm smart, you're not. I'm educated, you're not. I drink caramel frappuccinos, you don't. I eat bacon-wrapped dates and tuna tartare. You don't even know what that is. So sit down and shut up. I would gently say to the prime minister, if you're going to be a smart ass, first you have to be smart. Otherwise, you're, <laughs> otherwise you're just an ass. That that's crying out to be reused and reused, isn't it? That line. What a beautiful put down by John. He's Kennedy. a he's, he's a easily the equal uh, in oratorial skills as uh, the former president, John Kennedy, isn't it? This guy's terrific. Uh, I wonder if he ever visits Dallas. You'd be a bit anxious uh, rolling around uh, rolling around Dallas if your name's John Kennedy. You would. His middle name's not Fred, is it? That might even confuse things further. But <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I, I take it he's no relation whatsoever to the, to the Kennedy. Oh, obviously not. He doesn't have that annoying, stupid, you know, Boston accent for a start that... Uh, the Kennedys have a sort of a genetic affliction with. Mm. Uh, he's plainly a, a southern gentleman and um, and one who um, tells a damn good story. And uh, I've never heard of those various elite food items listed before used in a political argument. That was uh, that was compelling <laughs> and very accurate. I mean, that's that's where where we're at, isn't it? The uh, the laptop class versus the rest. Of course, the crushing of a independent nation by. A military force like Russia is not the only big story of the week. Tim, you've been following some local stories. Yes, the great Jane Caro, one of the finest fright bats to ever flap down the pike, <laughs> is uh, now running for the Senate. She's announced she's going to be a candidate for the Reason Party, formerly the Sex Party, uh, originally established in Melbourne by Fiona Patton and uh, various others. Is that now, what happens if you get old? The Sex Party turns into the Reason Party, is it? Yeah, you take out. Yeah, you stop thinking about sex, and you take out a subscription to the ex- excellent uh, libertarian magazine from the US, Reason. Um, I don't think, though, that uh, the sort of people who vote for the Reason Party are the Reason magazine's audience. Now, Jane Caro's campaign 
they're really bigging her up. They're saying that she's a, that Jane is a household name, which is true. Jane is a household name. Hmm. But Jane Caro, by contrast, is a, not even a household n- name in her own uh, neighbourhood. Now, you might expect someone like me to be reflexively opposed to Jane Caro's possible election. That, that's not the case. I very much support it. And the reason I support it is because of something Jane wrote in 2015 when she, she spoke in an article for Mamma Mia of having an incredibly odd form of anxiety neurosis. Apparently suffered from it for 20 years. So she's recovered now, so that's great. But let me just uh, read Jane's words about her anxiety neurosis. Out of nowhere... I began to be tormented by unwanted and frightening, frightening obsessive thoughts of violence. Not, I hasten to add, of someone being violent to me, but of me being violent to someone else. Oh, gosh. It didn't matter which someone else either. Any other living, breathing human being, no matter how old, young, big, small, weak or strong, would do. While I smiled and chatted and behaved fairly normally... I could be having the most lurid thoughts about the terrible things I could do to you. I didn't want to think of such things. I would have done anything to get rid of these unbidden, terrifying thoughts. But the more I resisted them, the stronger they became. (laughs) Now, she sought help, which is terrific, and apparently it worked. She says now that uh, she's she's mostly overcome it. I think the mostly is not that encouraging, but uh, she says that she no longer suffers with anxiety much at all. So maybe not entirely gone. I think someone like that would be a lot of fun in Parliament. Well, it's, it's got, she's got a basis of an interesting maiden speech there, hasn't she? Exactly, yeah. As people sort of gradually edge towards the exits, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> making sure not to make eye contact. I, I, I had experience of going, you know, being a, a, a twosome with Jane Carrow. Help, help me out here, mate. You, you're getting in deep there. Yep, yep. <laughs> we used to be on... Sunrise, sun, seven sunrise every every Saturday together. She was, you know, the voice of normality and reason, and I was the wide-eyed lunatic, right-wing fanatic. You know that they always invite on. And the the compare was uh, Andrew O'Keefe, interestingly enough, um, who's in his bother bother now. But yeah, so I, we had a we had a strange and wonderful relationship. She was strange and I was wonderful. Did she smile politely at you at any point, Nick? Because you know what she was thinking. Yes, indeed, indeed. But I don't think in all the, I don't know, two and a half years we did that, we ever saw eye on anything. And I thought your your description of her as a fright bat was perfect. Absolutely perfect. (laughs) Tim, thanks again for another swill this evening, the six o'clock swill. And um, we're going pretty well, I think. You can email us, of course. Nick at RadioBWC.com. Uh, give us five stars. That is your bounden duty. Five stars. Um, I think even Vladimir Putin gave us five stars last week. I don't know what that what that uh, what that means. Give us five stars. Tell tell your friends about it. Uh, let's not keep this to ourselves. And uh, what else can we say, Tim? We'd love you to sponsor us. We'd love a sponsor and an advertiser, but uh, that'll come, I'm sure. Well, yes, but give us five stars, and uh, if you have access to them, send five sharks to Vladimir Putin, care of the Kremlin. (laughs) Thanks, Tim. Good on you, mate. Cheers. Every American and LBJ is with Australia all the way.
Australia is the best place in the world to bring up a family. But we will decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they come. Australia. Yeah.